Good morning. My name is Kevin Hartman. I'm one of your elders. I have the honor to lead us all in prayer before our awesome God. I want to say uh, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Day of uh, remembering just the gift that God gave us in fathers to some of us. For others, you know, it's a, it's a struggle sometimes. And so we just uh, look to our Heavenly Father as the example of the Father that we need. Um, so first I'm going to start off with, you ever asked, had anybody ask you this question, do you love me? Um, some of us are reading a book by Paul Miller, Love Walked Among Us, and he shares at the beginning of this book the story of his wife saying, do you love me? And she asked him that more than one time, and he found himself rather irritated about it, and he sat and thought about it later and was going through the list of all the things he does around the house to help. You know, how should she not know that he loves her? Don't know if you've ever had that circumstance, but it got him thinking about what does it mean to love someone. And I don't know about you, but that story reminded me of a story as well. As Jesus met with Peter in John 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And I just think of that, and I think that the world has so messed up the definition of the term love that we don't even know what we're answering when somebody says, do you love me? Peter was internalizing this and saying, think of God, you know this, but, but God, Jesus was saying to him, there's more to it than what you say. There's more than just demonstrating it. And so recently I've been reading in uh, Corinthians, and, and we often think of 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. But the reality is, I thought as I read through it again, that's our definition of what love is. And if we actually lived that, what would our world be like? So I'm going to, as I go to prayer, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, and I want you to listen to it and think about the ways that if we lived this, if we truly lived this love, the church itself would be massively different, but the world would be different too. So go with me in, into God's word and then into prayer. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, 
but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the grace of these is love. Father God, if you stood before each one of us today and said, do you love me? Would we respond yes, because we are patient and kind, not arrogant, not boastful, because we love as Jesus loves? Or would we sit and list off all the things that we have done for you? Lord, many will stand before you and give you a list, and you will say, I never knew you. So Lord, I just pray that today we would not lean on the things that we've done, but Lord, we would look to how we are to treat others and how we are to love you. And Lord, that we would learn from Jesus how to love and that that love would overflow to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also that it would overflow into our neighborhoods. Lord, for there are many who need love. I heard yesterday just, Lord, the... the the statistics of how many people are lonely in this world and don't have a single friend. Lord, they truly desire love. How can our hearts not break for them and want to share the love which is Jesus? Lord, we thank you for your example as a father to us. We thank you for this day that we remember our fathers. Lord, I pray for um, just a good time of spending uh, time with our fathers, Lord, in celebrating who they are. I pray for those who maybe today are remembering their father who they've lost, or Lord, those who are struggling maybe because their father wasn't the father that you want them to be. Lord, I pray that you would comfort their hearts and you would encourage them. Lord, we want to... Th Remember and thank you for uh, the celebration of Juneteenth. 
Lord, is it a time that is important to all of us, Lord, to look back and remember how you worked in this country to end an institution which had no business existing. So, Lord, we thank you for the love that you showed by bringing about this change in enough hearts that this time can be celebrated, Lord, and we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful weather and uh, the good time for those who were canvassing the neighborhood yesterday. I thank you for the chances they had to pray with others, to share your good news. We prayed that your spirit would plant seeds and draw people to you through this, and that those who were there would be encouraged by your work. Lord, we have much to pray about uh, when it comes to the work of missions um, in this church specifically today. Lord, we want to lift up Gabrielle as she's on her trip um, halfway through on uh, working in the Middle East. We pray for strength for the team and protection. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would move. And for Amelia and Louisa, as they're in Wisconsin with CEF and they're, they're training and prepping and planning for these five-day clubs this summer. For the missions team, Lord, we thank you and praise you that they are on the ground in El Salvador, that they got there safely. Lord, that they're seeing your hand working as they're meeting with uh, two of our missionaries, Jerry and Don, and working to pass out these filters, but also talk about the living hope in the living water, which is Jesus. Lord, we just pray that you would work through them. Lord, I pray that each person that is on these trips, Lord, would be changed, that they would be changed to be more like Jesus, and they would understand you more, and that you would work in the hearts of people that they work, uh, work with. Lord, we uh, continue to pray for Vova's family as they are less than two weeks from leaving and heading to the States. Lord, we thank you for the many ways that you have worked. We pray that you would continue to work, and I pray that you would receive the glory and you would receive the honor for their coming here, Lord, and I pray that you would give us great discernment, wisdom, and a sense of servanthood, Lord, as we come alongside this family and help them as they start a whole new life. Lord, some of us are so comfortable with where we are, we wouldn't know what it would be like to leave our home, our home country, our language, everything we know, and start all over again. But Lord, you have a plan, and so Lord, make us part of that plan. Just pray also for this upcoming interfaith dialogue on Saturday. Lord, I pray that your truth would go out and that love would prevail. But Lord, that you would bind Satan in his attempts to distort the gospel, to distort the truth, and draw people away from you. Lord, we bring petitions of our body Lord, we continue to pray for Al's dad for continued healing and support and wisdom and for Megan and Manny and Zion. Pray for the healing of those in the body with COVID and other illnesses, Lord, that you would come alongside and that we would also serve them well. Lord, we continue to lift up um, 
Sergey and Jillian, as they uh, are on this sabbatical, we pray for the movement of your spirit, for rest, for encouragement, for boldness. Lord, we just pray that you would give them the words that you have for them during this time. Also lift up Emma and her trip to France. We thank you for continued protection for her, even though it didn't go as planned, yet, Lord, you are working. Just pray now for Dave, Pastor Dave as he brings us your word. I just pray that it would be the words of your spirit that would pierce our hearts and sanctify us and draw us nearer to you. And I pray these things in the power that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Well, we continue our series as we look at the different images of the church this summer. I have a question for you, baby boomers. Children, thank you. I need my wife in more ways than one. Children are dismissed for children's church, ages uh, four through second grade. And if you're new here, you can trust us. Send your kids back to the foyer and they'll have their time of instruction. You can go pick them up as the service concludes. Now I have a question for you baby boomers. What product advertised that ingesting it would build your body 12 ways? Wonder Bread. Okay, I heard that from a couple different people. Yes, Wonder Bread. You wonder why I'm asked starting a sermon with that. And our sermon today is called Four Ways to Build a Strong Body. And the, the ways that we look at from Scripture really work. I doubt that Wonder Bread really built physical bodies. White bread's not the best thing uh, for you. But anyway, I never thought of white bread as being nutritious. But as we look at four ways to build a strong body, we will see how uh, the body can be built up as we practice some of the one anotherings. About 20 years ago, I preached a series uh, on 40 one anotherings. There are 40 different one anothering commands spread throughout the New Testament. And uh, I'm drawing from one of those sermons, not because I didn't have time to prepare but because I believe that we can go deeper in understanding this image of the body. So I want us to look again at the verses we read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4, and something that I find is very helpful and intriguing. Ephesians chapter 4. Those first verses were reminded about the spiritual gifts of apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, and pastor-teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It is God's desire that we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, so we're no longer children. And now look ahead at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, typically, when we talk about Christian growth, we're talking about uh, the spiritual disciplines and things that we uh, can do so that we grow in Christ, reading the Word of God and, and having a prayer, a prayer life and different things that we can do to bring about growth. But here in verse 16, we see that growth also results when each part of the body and the context of a relationship with one another does its part. And then it says the body is built up or builds itself up in love. We are to have a part in each other's spiritual growth. And we're going to look at how we can do that for different one anotherings that will help build a strong body, the body of Christ. The first one uh, is found in Romans chapter 14. We're going to be going uh, to a number of different uh, letters of Paul and Peter today. Romans chapter 14 verse 19 is the first way that we can build a strong body. The first one anothering I want us to look at. Romans 14:19 says this. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now the ESV doesn't help in this series called the one anotherings. Uh, But the New American Standard uh, says this about that same verse. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Let's pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. So the first one another and we're going to look at is build up one another. Do you know that you have the power to build up and to tear down? This worship center uh, was built. It took about a year to build it uh, back in uh, 2000, 2001. Uh, We could tear it down a lot quicker than what it took to build. Relationships take time to build. A marriage takes time to build. It can be torn down in minutes, can it? In fact, the proverb says that words can build up and words can tear down. We've done both of those, and we've had both of those done to us. The Greek that's translated, the Greek word translated, uh, build up here, uh, is a Greek, it's a compound word. The first part of the word means house, and the second means build. It's interesting, though Paul is talking about a person, he also uses this concept, use use of a physical house, of a building. Buildings are complex. They take time to build. Oftentimes, this Greek word is translated, it can be translated build up or edify. It means the same thing. Edification means to build up, uh, to strengthen. A couple verses later in Romans Romans 15, verse 2, it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We are to build up one another. So how do we do that? I thought of three different ways from Scripture and how we are able to edify, to build up one another. The first is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Paul says, Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that 
all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge can puff up. Knowledge can make people uh, proud and arrogant, but he says love is better than knowledge. Love builds up. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for uh, reading 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, good reminders for all of us. Love edifies. L when we truly love one another, people are built up. That's what the scripture says. Love builds up. Love's, love makes people stronger. Turn over to chapter 14. We'll look at another way that uh, we can edify and build others up. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 and 4. Paul's been, he's been speaking of spirit, spiritual gifts. He talks about the gift of tongues. And then in verse 3, he says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. There's that Greek word, building up. For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Not only does love edify, the word edifies. The word as it's preached and prophesied, the word edifies. Actually, we saw that in Ephesians 4.12 when we read that in our call to worship, the, that last ver verse 12, it says he gave some as apostles, prophets, and uh, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, and here's that word, edification, to the building up of the body of Christ. The word of God edifies, whether it's shared from the pulpit or a Sunday school class or one-on-one -on -one or read just privately. The word builds us up. It edifies. But there's another. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words edify. They can edify. Paul says, now, don't, don't be using words that are unwholesome words, words that are meaningless, words that are irreverent, words that are just very uh, superficial. Think about your words before you speak them. Think about the need of the person you're speaking to. And our words have the power to edify, to build people up. Are your word, words building up or tearing down? It's Father's Day, so it's a good day for, us, for me to ask parents. Are your words building up your children or tearing them down? Many of us remember words that were spoken to us that built us up or that tore us down. Uh, words have power. Mary had grown up knowing that she was different from other kids. She hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and had to bear the jokes and the stares of cruel children who teased her nonstop about her misshaped lip, her crooked nose, her garbled speech. 
With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside her family would ever love her until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, shiny brown hair. While everyone in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard, her teacher. In the 1950s, I was in elementary school, and some of you who are my age might remember this, but it was common for teachers to give children an annual hearing test. Some of you remember that? Just one day a year, there was this little machine the teacher would have. Well, in Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she was barely able to hear out of one ear. Determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out, she would cheat on that hearing test every year. The whisper test was given by having a child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something which the teacher whispered. Mary turned her bad ear toward her teacher and pretended to cover her good ear, and she knew that teachers would often say things like, the sky is blue, or what color are your shoes? But not on that day. Surely God put seven words into Mrs. Leonard's mouth that changed Mary's life forever. When the whisper test came, Mary heard the words, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. Do you think those words edified Mary? Did they have the power to change her life? Yes, they did. So, The word of God tells us, commands us. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. Build up one another. We move to the second one anothering in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews 10, verse 24. It says... Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here we have the command to stir up one another. Some versions say stimulate one another to love and good deeds. What does... What, what is it that, that stirs you up? What, what can people say or do that, that stimulates you to love and good deeds? I am stirred up when I see others' sacrificial acts of love. My marriage is strengthened as I watch other men sacrificing themselves for their wives. I desire to become a man fully committed to the word of God when I rub shoulders with other men who are laying it all down for Christ. I'm encouraged to be more servant-like when I see acts of service taking place all around me. We're to stir up one another, to consider ways of stirring up one another. What would it look like, even on the way to church or Saturday night or Sunday morning, to be thinking, how can I stir somebody else up to love and good deeds today? And and the things that I say or the, the way that I carry myself. Unfortunately, most of us or some of us come here just hoping that others will stir us up. 
What, what will others say to me or do for me instead of us thinking about how can I stir others up to love and good deeds? A man went to the doctor after some weeks of very serious symptoms. The doctor examined him carefully. And then he called his, uh, the patient's wife into his office away from the husband. He says, your husband is suffering from a rare form of anemia. Without treatment, he'll be dead in a few weeks. The good news is it can be treated with lots of service and love and nutrition. You'll need to get up early every morning and fix your husband a hot breakfast. Pancakes and eggs and bacon, that works. And then he'll need a home-cooked lunch every day. And then an old-fashioned meat and potato dinner every evening. It'd be especially helpful if you would bake frequently cakes and pies. These are things that will allow your husband to live. Uh, one more thing. His immune system is weak. It's important that your home be kept spotless at all times. So, do you want to break the news to him, or shall I? I will, the wife replied. So she walked into the exam room where her husband was sitting there alone. He, sensing the seriousness of his illness, asked her, it's bad, isn't it? She nodded, tears welling up in her eyes. What's going to happen to me, he asked. With a sob, the wife blurted out, the doctor says you're going to die. <laughs> you hadn't heard this before, had you? <laughs> I could tell by the smile, some of you had heard this one before. <laughs> well, that's not the way to stimulate, to stir up others to love and good deeds. Well, let's move on to our third, and I promise no more jokes. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. I shouldn't promise. <laughs> I take it back. First Peter 4 verse 10. This is an incredible verse. As each one has received a gift, he's talking about spiritual gifts, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This third one anothering is to use your spiritual gift to serve one another. Are you using your gifts to serve others? Uh, sometimes we get tired, we say, I, I'm not going to do anything, or we stick our gift, our skill uh, on a shelf, we want to take a break. But the command is to use your gift. But it's the second part of the verse that just kind of blows my mind. First of all, the word steward is used. I think you all know what a steward is. A steward is someone who's called to manage something that belongs to somebody else. In other words, the spiritual gifts really aren't, they don't really belong to us. We're called to manage this, the, the, the gift of the spirit that has been given to us. We're told to steward that gift, to manage that gift. But even what the rest of the verse is what blows my mind even more. Because if it wasn't in the Bible and I said these words, they would be heretical. Because it talks about 
there's manifold grace of God flowing in and through us. We're told to steward God's grace. You think, no, no, God's grace comes from above. God's grace comes only from God. But remember, it's talking about a spiritual gift, a gift of the Spirit that is, is, is indwelling us, that's been given to us as believers, and is saying when we are using it, we're stewarding the, the grace of God. Does that kind of surprise anybody else? Or is it just me? I, I, think, it's, I think it's amazing words here. Be good stewards of what God has given to you, what the Holy Spirit has given to you. Use your spiritual gift to serve others. Now, some may be here and you're like, I don't know what a spiritual gift is. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And so just a couple very easy, practical steps. First of all, study the passages of Scripture where spiritual gifts are listed. And it's very simple. There's there's four of them. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. All of the gifts that are listed in Scripture are listed in those four passages of Scripture. So read through. There's 19 or 20 gifts that are listed. It's debatable whether that's an exhaustive list or perhaps there's other gifts that, that the Lord uses that aren't, that aren't listed here. That's, 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 that's another debate, another dialogue to have. But study what Scripture teaches. Something else important to do is get involved in an area of service. There, in every church, there are, there are slots. There are people are, are needed. Uh, for example, I know that uh, there are great needs in the children's ministry here for children's workers and children's church, a couple different children's churches and Sunday school. Uh, there are different gifts that you can use with, with children. So get involved in an area of service. And then respond to needs as they arise. You'll hear about different needs and do something. Volunteer for something. Give yourself to something. In just a couple of weeks, uh, Kevin prayed about uh, Vova and Genya Zolotov, refugees from the Ukraine. They left everything behind as the bombing began there in, in uh, Ukraine. And they made their way to Poland and spent a few weeks there and then made their way to Germany. And uh, they are coming here. Uh, we have uh, made a commitment to sponsor them as a church. And they're on their way here. July 1st, they're coming here with their four kids. Thank God we have a mission house, that they're able to live in this mission house. But the needs are mammoth. The needs are mammoth. They won't have jobs. They don't have money. They're coming just with what they have in their suitcases. And so be looking at the watching realm. Uh, we need uh, financial uh, giving to help them. Uh, they're going to both be looking for jobs. But again, uh, the kids don't even speak English. They're just great needs. So ask the Lord, what, what can you do? Talk to Sarah, and there's a, a task force being put together of other people who can help uh, with some of these needs that come our way using our spiritual gifts to serve one another. And then fourthly, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, this fourth point. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. But exhort or encourage 
depending on what version you're reading. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think I'll probably be using the word encourage more than exhort. I think encourage captures the meaning a little bit better. Encourage one another. The Greek word here is a very rich word. It's used uh, over a hundred times in the New Testament, and you'll recognize it when I say it. Parakaleo, paraclete. Any of you heard that word before? We know that word because some versions use that word to, as one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. We know it means a comforter. The parakaleo, uh, the Greek word's a compound word. You know para if you know paralegal, parallel. Para means alongside. Kaleo means to call, to call for help. One who is called to come alongside to help. Encourage. Encourage means you're actually, by the time you're done with someone, you're bringing courage into a discouraged heart. We're told to encourage one another. Uh, depending on the context, there's a couple different nuances of this word. First of all, it can mean to comfort or to help. Jesus said, speaking of the Holy Spirit as a comforter, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. One who's called to comfort, called to come alongside and help. But it also means to exhort, to exhort or to teach. It's not simply putting someone's arm around the trouble, but speaking words that will strengthen that person. One writer says, encouragement is the kind of expression that helps someone want to be a better Christian even when life is rough. Encourage one another. I was speaking at another church about a month ago out in uh, west somewhere. Um, and uh, as I was preaching, it wasn't, it wasn't this sermon, it was another sermon that really was talking about the body of Christ. And there was a woman that looked like she just it was the most downcast. She was a woman about 40 or 45, and she looked like she was going to just weep and break into 100 pieces. And, uh, you know, you just notice people's expression during the whole service. It wasn't just during the sermon. And I even, I didn't point her out, but I just mentioned, do you know that there's folks here probably who need a word of encouragement today? Do we even notice the, the, the countenance of, of others. Uh, but I didn't see anyone going up to her after the sermon, so I, I guess I failed to get through to some folks there. But I want you to save your place in Hebrews 3. We'll be back in just a minute, but turn over to 1 Samuel 23. Oftentimes, for preachers, I've noticed this over and over again. Uh, I, I'm reading through the Old Testament this year. I've been reading through David's exile from Saul. And, uh, and, and so as, as I read through this this week, I just thought this is part of a, a wonderful illustration that will help us understand how this ministry of encouragement can help others. David's on the run from King Saul. He is burdened 
I mean, just time after time after time, things are going south. Things are going bad. He, there's, a, there's a group of, uh, there's a town called Keilah, and the Philistines are attacking it, and they send word, we need help. And David and his 400 men or 600 men, they go and they, they, they save this town. And do you know what the men of Keilah do? They hear from Saul, and they make plans to turn David over to Saul after David had sacrificed going to battle to save these guys. These guys are going to turn him over to Saul. What do you think that does to somebody? And then there's this whole thing about uh, uh, David. His men were hungry, and he has this thought, hey, we'll go to the tabernacle to show bread, and we'll go to the high priest, Ahimelech. And so they went, and you know the story. David told a series of lies to Ahimelech. He said, well, I'm on a mission from Saul, so do you have any bread for, for me and my, my men here? And, and then he asks Ahimelech, do you have any weapons here? Well, we have the great sword of Goliath that you brought to us. Oh, give me that sword. I need it. David tells a pack of lies, and you all know what happens? Later on, there was a spy there who sees all this by the name of Doeg, what was he, an Edomite? I forget, he wasn't Jewish. And he gets back to Saul and says, Ahimelech was helping David. He gave him food, he gave him weapons. And so Saul sends Doeg, he goes to ask questions of the high priest. And you know what he does? The high priest, he kills him. He, actually, Doeg kills him. And then they send for 85 other priests from the city of Nob, and they slay all the priests, their wives, and their children. And do you know where the blood lies? Well, it was Doeg, it was Saul, but it also was, was on David. Because it was the lies that David told that, that, that precipitated all this. All these things are happening to David. David is feeling the great shame of how he held responsibility for this. One thing after another... And so in 1 Samuel 23, in the midst of all of this going on, we have this wonderful little uh, snapshot the Lord gives to us. Chapter 23, verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan... That was David's best, dearest friend. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish, and I love this, strengthened his hand in God. Just the right time. Have you ever had somebody show up just the right time? I mean, you're doing your worst, and God sends somebody across your path or gives you a phone call or a... Uh, somehow steps into your life, strengthens his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish and Jonathan went home. I believe that's the last time Jonathan and David ever saw each other on this earth. But how, how he strengthened this, this dear brother comes to him and, and teaches and preaches and exhorts him. He used words. He comforted him. 
with empathy and used words. What words did he speak? He spoke to him. He reminded him of the promises of God. You're going to be king. I don't care what my father's doing. He's not going to stop what God's doing. You're going to be the king. Now, you could say he was a prophet here. He's simply speaking what he knew was true. Samuel, the, the, the prophet, had, or, had uh, uh, anointed David with oil. He had been set aside to be Israel's king. And sometimes we need someone to come alongside and remind us of a promise or two from God. We all need that, don't we? So, what's the primary means of encouraging others? Well, by sharing the word. By sharing the word, as Jonathan did. Well, let's look at Romans 15, 4, because we see that here in Scripture as well. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We share the word to encourage one another. We also uh, encourage others by sharing the comfort that we have received. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. By sharing the comfort that God has comforted us with. Some of you have struggled with cancer. And you know that God has used you to speak encouragement to others who've been diagnosed with that terrible disease or to something else that you have in common with someone, you can share the comfort that God has given to you. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. This is one of the purposes of, of affliction is as we are comforted through it, now we have a story that can be used by God in other people's lives, right? Ray Steadman was one of my go-to pastors back in the 70s. How many of you heard that, of that name, Ray Steadman? He was a teddy bear. He was the sweetest spirited man from California. I, I sat under his teaching often at pastor's conferences and uh, I loved getting a hold of a manuscript. We did, this was long before the Internet, uh, long before podcasts, but we were able to somehow access some of Pastor Ray's sermons, and he impacted me greatly as a young pastor, as a young man. He says this about this, this passage. He says, I think the older you grow as a Christian, the more this becomes true. Your sufferings are not sent for you so much as they are for someone who's watching you and seeing how you handle the pressure that you are going through. Older Christians easily forget that younger Christians are watching them all the time. When we give way to complaining and murmuring about our circumstances, 
We're teaching these younger Christians. We're teaching them as if we sat down with them and waggled our fingers at them. God is faithless. The scriptures are not true. And that we get no adequate support for what we're going through. No, when we have suffering sent to us, they're often sent so that others watching us will know they can be sustained. This is what Paul says to this church. When I suffer, it is for your comfort. It is that you might see what God can do and what he took me through, he can take you through. I love the widows and the widowers in this church. I watched them because one day it might be me or it might be my wife and they are living lives of victory. You all have been such a wonderful example to the eyes of younger folks in this church. I know all of you aren't here, but thank you for sharing your testimony and your, your walk with the Lord has impacted us. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, also by sharing our hope of glory, sharing our hope of glory. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We see the same word used there. First Thessalonians 4 verse 13 and following. There were some very worried people, believers in Thessalonica, uh, they had really gotten some messed up ideas about uh, end times and they thought maybe they missed the day of the Lord. Uh, and, and so Paul tries to clear that up. He, he says in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope for. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And Paul says, encourage, same word, encourage one another with these words. So whether we're talking about the rapture, whether we're talking about the coming, second coming of Christ, the eternal state of the believer dwelling with the Lord in this new heavens and new earth, these words encourage us. They help us get perspective again, don't they? I need those laughs, those little laughs, and I need those amens. Every preacher, we, we, we need that. And my African-American brothers and sisters, they know these white folk need a little bit more of that. Well, I'm just sharing my weakness. But the Lord called me to a white church, so. Hebrews 3.13 as we return back to that passage, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're, we're told two things. We're told about the frequency, the frequency of our encouragement. How often? Sunday to Sunday? Is that what it says? 
You with me? The frequency, day after day. It's not enough to see each other on Sundays and encourage one person. We're told to encourage day after day. We're supposed to be doing life together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, spending time together. Encourage one another day after day. Now, it's not, it's not something to be legalistic and make a little checklist, and if you don't encourage someone every day, you're, God's mad at you. That's not what this is about. It's about that, that we need to be encouraged day after day. We, after we move, from, we move from frequency to what's the, what's the purpose? To keep others from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Left to ourselves, isolating ourselves is a bad idea. We'll be get hardened. We'll be deceived by our own sin. We need each other. We need each other's encouragement. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need one another's encouragement. We all have blind spots, areas of sin that we just don't see. Other believers will help us locate those. One author writes, One Saturday afternoon, I watched the telecast of the world's lightweight boxing championship match. The boxers were a 31-year-old Scotsman and a man from the U.S. who was about six years younger. The Scot was the reigning champion, and the bout was being fought before a crowd of 20,000 in Glasgow, Scotland. The champion had said before the match that he'd rather die than be beaten before his own people. But the younger contender had never before been beaten in a professional contest. So, after the match began, it became clear that the battle would be close. As I sat watching, I heard something unlike anything I'd ever heard before. It was faint at first, but it seemed to be singing. Singing at a boxing match. Gradually, it became louder and louder. Hundreds and hundreds of male voices singing a strange Scottish melody. I could hardly believe it. They were singing encouragement for their champion. They were singing to remind him, we are with you. We're in the boxing match with you. You're not alone. And as he fought for his crown, but even more for the respect of the Scottish people, they sang to encourage him. Some of you are sitting at the edge of your chair. I don't know who won that day. (laughs) Because that's not the point. The guy goes on to say, I've not thought about that contest since without a lump rising in my throat, nor have I thought of it without thinking how like the Christian's battle that was and how like the role of the church to sing encouragement for one another. We are a body. We're the body of Christ. We need to practice these one anotherings, brothers, sisters. As we now ready ourselves to take the Lord's Supper, we practice an open table. If you're a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you are welcome to join us as we Uh, You'll be coming forward in just uh, a few moments. Those on the balcony, you have uh, the elements are there as well. Those of you who uh, would like uh, an elder to bring it to you, please just raise your hand and 
Uh, Kevin will bring the elements to you. If you want a prepackaged kit, there's still some out in the foyer. But before we uh, are released to come forward, I, I want to read Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Brothers and sisters, in our day, there are lots of professing Christians who are dropping out of the race. There are people laying alongside, refusing to run anymore. We need to run the race with endurance. We need to lay down that burden of sin which weighs us down, the, those things that encumbrance us, and we, we, where are we to fix our eyes? You've got to fix them on the finish line. We're not looking at the folks down at the side and trying to quit the race and try to help somebody up. We need to run to the finish line because that's where Jesus is. Jesus ran the race. Satan tempted him to drop out of the race. You don't have to go to the cross. Jesus ran the race. Verse 2 says, He's the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ran the race for us. We'd never make it to the finish line without him. We can't make it to the finish line unless we look to him. And our first look to him is a look of salvation, of salvation as we look to him in faith, believing he came and he died for my sins so that I could live with him forever. My sins would be forgiven. Jesus ran all the way down that final road, the Via Dolorosa. He, rode, he ran down the Calvary road. He climbed up on the cross. He agreed Actually, he had agreed from eternity past, I will take their sins upon me. And he did. And nails were put in his, through his hands and through his feet. He died for our sins. And God raised him up to life, guaranteeing us, too, that we will overcome death in the grave. Have you looked upon this Jesus and said, yes, I believe that you are my Savior, and I want to follow you all the days of my life? If not... I encourage you to run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. This, uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, is for those who have said yes to Jesus Christ, who have experienced his salvation. May we reach the finish line and hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you bow with me as we prepare to come and sing songs of worship in just a moment? Lord, words cannot express our gratitude. You ran the race that we could never have run, and you went all the way to the finish line of the cross. You pleased your Father. And Lord, you did this so that you would populate your family with us with brothers and sisters you are our elder brother and we are eternally grateful you took our sins upon yourself so that we 
would actually be washed with your blood and covered. Our sins would be atoned for and would be covered with the very robes of righteousness. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the body, your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. And you tell us, Lord, every time that we do this, to remember, to remember you, to remember the sacrifice that you paid for us. And so we do that right now. We remember, we remember, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
he is the one building this church. He is the one who has given us the promises. He is the one holding it all together. And so we take this gift from him. And it gives us hope, and we give hope to one another. Feel free to stand as we continue to sing, to sing out, uh, to respond to the gift that he has given us, uh, and to continue with his help to do his work, building up the church, loving one another, giving good words and songs and gifts and love to those around us.
As we respond together and we sing, we join in the chorus of all creation, praising our King, singing out because we can't help it. He is such a great King. And He is coming again. And these are the promises that give us hope. And so as we sing, sing out because you are singing these promises and this hope to those around you that all may hear, that all may believe, that all may be encouraged. Hallelujah. Oh, 
Raise your hands, brothers and sisters, and receive this benediction, this blessing from the Lord. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.